0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. My name is Josh Bertram. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace Crossing Church. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Do we have any foodies in the house? You guys know what a foodie is? Yep. Yeah. Somebody who really likes food. That's how I define a foodie. Um, And I really like food. Anyone else really like food? I love food. I'm so much of a foodie that I can tell that uh, I can make um, very precise distinctions between over 25 different types of buffalo wings. I usually read the menu and <laughs> tell, but I can do it, uh, you know, a defined palate, you know. Uh, that, uh, I, I love food. I love fresh food. Anyone? Can I get an amen? Come on, guys. I love fresh food. Fresh food is very important to me. Fresh food is also very important to my wife, but not quite as much as it is to me. I asked her if I could tell this story. She said yes. Um, so it's okay. But my my wife is frugal. God bless her. You know? And... uh Frugality and freshness don't always mix, you know what I mean? You guys ever know she she's a she's amazing hi sweetie, yeah, I saw you coming she she's amazing she's an amazing cook um but you know how sometimes the expiration date is kind of treated more as a suggestion, like a range than a rule Now, I'm one of the people that treats it like a rule, you know what I'm saying. As soon as that expiration gets there, we're throwing it away. And I's like, no, 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 no. Look, this one isn't as moldy as it could be. <laughs> she knows I'm telling the truth. Freshness is important to me. It's also, of course, it is important to her. And, and when we were dating, though, um, we had just started dating, and I learned the value of fresh food. Really, like, a striking example. Um, we, uh, I, I, she lived in Pennsylvania. I lived in Boston. Um, I would come down to visit um, for weekends, and I'd stay at her grandparents' house in Pennsylvania. They, they lived pretty close to each other. And then I would come over for dinner. And one night I was over there for dinner, and she created this amazing meal. It was really good. And it was one of those, like, multiple course meals, you know. And get this. The first course was Bagel Bites. You guys like Bagel Bites? Like, those are one of the four food groups of broke college kids, right? Bagel Bites, ramen, um, uh, uh, you know, imitation coffee, all right? And I like Bagel Bites. At least I did like Bagel Bites. Um, I came in, and uh, she gave those to me because I was really hungry, and I started eating, and there just was something a little off about them, you know? Like, huh? Hey, it's just the cheese doesn't taste quite as cheesy, and the sauce doesn't quite taste quite as saucy as it probably should. It just had like a, a hint of I don't know mold. Um, and anyway, I was like, uh, I'm not really feeling these. And she kind of had this smirk on her face. Oh yeah, you don't have to eat them. I'm like, what? I don't have to eat them. That's kind of weird. And then I kind of noticed out of the corner of my eye, my peripheral, um, a trash can, and Upon further examination, I noticed within the trash can some interesting items, namely bagel-shaped items, many bagel shaped items, I would say bagel-bite-shaped items, um, that were in the trash, and I noticed, I was like, that's odd. Why don't you throw away those perfectly good bagel bites? Well, I grabbed them, and I looked at them, and lo and behold, I saw mold And I realized, as I put it together, well, actually, she just told me that half of them were moldy, and the other half were not. And she figured, there's no mold on it that I can see, so I'll just give them the part that wasn't moldy. Now, I'm noticing chuckles out there, and I'm assuming this kind of thing has happened before between two lovebirds. Fresh food is important. It's especially important when it comes to fruit. And you know, anyone else have a love-hate relationship with bananas? I know that's a weird question, but really, seriously. It's like, bananas are amazing if you get that window of opportunity, right? Like 30 minutes. Before they're ripe, and before they're disgusting, and you have to use them for something else besides consumption. So, Maybe banana bread. You can consume those. But those bananas, so so fruit is so, needs to be ripe. And there's a certain time, window of opportunity, where the fruit is ripe. And those are the times that you go and you try to get it. Hey, look, I got some fruit added from last service. <laughs> okay. Um, very good. I want you to notice the tomatoes. Pay no attention to the apple and orange and lemon. Okay. Um, Can you tell the difference between the ripe and the not ripe fruit? Right? Let me give you a hint. One's red and the other's green. God has designed our world to show signs of when something's ripe. He's actually designed our world to be seasonal. We're in a series called Seasons. And a season is something where it's a time period that has a certain amount of cause and effect relationships that are contained within that period of time that help define it. And seasons are connected to each other. Seasons affect each other. Seasons proceed from each other. As a matter of fact, one season won't actually occur if not for the previous seasons. And what's interesting is we observe this in the world all over the place. Things run in a cycle. They have a life cycle, life span. They have certain periods of time where certain distinct things and characteristics are formed and happen. And God, in his wisdom, inspired people to write out his words. And when you look at those words and what we consider the 66 books of The Bible, those who follow Christ, you know, are are one of our doctrines, one of our beliefs is in the inspiration of the Bible. That is from God, His Word to us. It's all over the Bible that life is seasonal, that life runs by a law. And this law is that. There are cause and effect relationships in life, all over the place. Every effect has a cause, and cause produces effects. Every consequence has an action, and action produces produces consequences. And the Bible talks a lot about this idea of reaping and sowing. That when you sow something, you will reap something later. That this is a law that God has built in the very fabric of reality. And if there's one thing that I want you to remember this morning, I want you to remember this idea. That life is seasonal, and that the best fruit is a fruit that's in season. That fruit is best. when it's in season. And that this is how God has created our world to operate. Book called Ecclesiastes, the author writes about this in chapter three, verse one, he says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build. In other words, God has created this world to operate under a system and principle of law law, and of cause and effect, of sowing and reaping. And the reaping, the harvest, always depends on what's sown. And you know, in life we can forget this. Because sometimes things take longer than we think or because sometimes consequences are so separated from us in time, we forget how God made the universe. And actually the Bible actually is kind of clear that we don't just forget, we choose to ignore. We actually choose to forget how God made the universe. There's a guy named Paul. More specifically, the Apostle Paul. He was a persecutor of the church who had an unbelievable experience with the risen Christ, was changed. Paul went on to be the greatest missionary of all time. Spreading the gospel in the area around the Mediterranean in that ancient time, the first century AD. And he would go and he would plant churches. And in those churches, he would raise up leaders and he would have them begin to preach the gospel and teach the things that he had taught them. And then from time to time, he would write letters to those churches. We have 17 of them that we know as the letters of Paul in the New Testament. And Paul wrote one particular letter to a place in a province called Galatia. And he wrote to Christians in Galatia. These were people that he had personally known. He had personally planted and started these churches. And Paul pens this letter to people in Galatia, and he has one very important purpose He wants to challenge them, convict them not to forget the very foundation of their faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ. That he is the savior of the world and that we can only be saved by grace through faith. By undeserved merit from God through a trusting relationship with him. And they were tending to forget this and Paul took very seriously that notion and he writes clearly and he writes articulately and he writes incisively and tells them, do not forget the foundation of the gospel. And he lays out these deep truths of theology, of how we view God and the nature of God. And then in the second part of his letter, he talks about the practical implications of the theology. He actually does that in all of his letters. And if you go to the practical section, the one where it talks about how we live, how it affects our life, you will notice a very interesting passage once you get to chapter 6. It starts in verse 7. And here's what it says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he says. It's funny that he says don't be deceived. Because the implication there, the idea that you look at that is that, well, he's asking us not to be deceived. That kind of means that we are able to be deceived. It's a warning against something, and warnings don't have any meaning unless the warning has a reference point being warned against. It's amazing how easily we can be deceived when it comes to this point. The law of cause and effect, actions and consequences, reaping, sowing, sowing, reaping. And what he says to us, as he says, really, don't deceive yourself. It's remarkable that we are the only creatures that can deceive ourselves. That we can actually convince ourselves that something is true when it isn't. Or something isn't true when it is. That we have this ability in the face of incontrovertible evidence. In the face of huge piles of data that would go to the contrary, we can still say to ourselves, no, that's not true. We can deceive ourselves. And when we look around this world, we see cause and effect everywhere. We see sowing and reaping everywhere. We live in seasons. Every single part of our life is within a season. We know what happens when fruit gets ripe. There's a time at which the fruit is ready to be harvested. And that time depends on the times before that prepared that fruit, gave it the nutrients, gave it the environment where it could grow. And that image is to be applied to our life that what we do, what we say, how we think, how we live out the body that God has given us and the life that he has graced us with will have consequences. And they're neutral. When he says consequences, they're not negative necessarily, they are both. We forget that there are negative and positive consequences. We forget that as we so seeds of good things, positive things, we will reap a harvest associated with that. And Paul is very clear: do not be deceived. I love the way the um, the Common English version says it: says you cannot fool God, so don't make a fool of yourself. You will harvest what you plant. Or even in the amplified version, do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God does not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, or disdained, mocked by pretensions and professions, or by his precepts, his laws, his rules, the way he's created the world to be set aside. He inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. For whatever a man sows, that and that only is what he will reap. It is clear that Paul is saying, do not deceive yourself. Don't allow yourself to get into the trap of thinking that what I do today does not affect tomorrow. We can deceive ourselves, but God cannot be mocked. We don't have a choice in that matter. We reap what we sow. Fruit is best in season. And there are ways that I believe that Paul gives us in this passage and that the Holy Spirit through Paul's hand has given to us even today where we can ensure that there is good fruit at that time of harvesting and not bad. That it's something positive, something that pleases God. And that's something that leads to consequences that none of us want to face. I think that Paul kind of tells us to use the imagery of a garden and of planting. He gives us four things we can do. The first thing he says that we can do is that we can, if we want good fruit, plant the right seeds at the right time talk to any farmer or any gardener, they know there's a time you got to plant certain things. Take that imagery, bring it to your life, your actions, your thoughts, the way that you make decisions, the things that you interact with in your environment. And here's what we find in Galatians 6 verse 10. It says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. See, the decisions that we make and the way we live our life are a combination of two things, our circumstances and our opportunities. Opportunities are not the same thing as circumstances. Circumstances are the stage on which uh, opportunities play themselves out. Opportunities means there's something that you can do, a way that you can respond that that situation leans itself to. For instance, teenagers, when your parent give you a phone and they pay for your phone, that is a great opportunity to say, thanks, Mom. Thank you. But opportunities are double-edged swords. That is also an opportunity you have to show ingratitude. That is an opportunity you have to send a message to your parents that they are somehow obligated to get you what you want when you want it. And that opportunity gives itself the ability to do different things that are either good or they are evil. You can use your phone to look at images that you've made of your U you version scriptures from the app, the Bible app, or you can use your phone to have other images. There is an opportunity for good and evil present in these circumstances. Opportunities are neutral. They are either positive or negative depending on the choice, depending on the decisions. And we are always presented with these opportunities. The Bible is clear about that. And the opportunities come in the form usually, almost always, of our interaction with people. How are we going to interact with the people that God brings into our life? And here's what Paul says. He says, do good. Do good. What that means is in that situation, in that opportunity, do your best to choose what God wants. Do your best to live out of the principles you know and out of your relationship with God in a way that pleases Him. I love the way that the Amplified Version says this. So then, as occasion and opportunity open up to us, let us do good morally to all people, not only being useful or profitable to them, but also doing what is their spiritual good and advantage when we face the opportunities that we have in life to interact with people, we have a choice. We can be useful, we can be helpful, and then we can even take it beyond that and we can be of spiritual use. Parents, you have an opportunity with your children To not only give them the things they need, set them up for success in this world, help them get to the best colleges, or get the best education they have, but also, and, and more importantly, to set them up to know and love Jesus Christ. You can't make them. That's not what I'm saying. But you can be an example and a model, and what you do on a daily basis will speak to your kids more than any words you say. And they will see from the consistency of your actions, and you will always act of what act out of what is in your heart. And they will see from the consistency of your actions whether or not you take it seriously. And you have an opportunity to admit failure, admit imperfection, and go to God, ask him for forgiveness in front of your children. Bring God into the conversation. Show them the spiritual good, the spiritual advantage. There is always that side of our interactions. It's not just let me be helpful. It's let me be helpful. And how does God want me to interact with this person? What does God want to do in this person's life? How does God want me to pray for this person? How does God want me to show his grace, his love, his mercy in this interaction. But there's a specific group of people that even takes it further when he's talking about doing the right thing at the right time, and he says, finishing the verse, let us do good to all people, especially those who are in the family of believers. It's funny, because God says, look, You are to do good to all people, but pay particular attention to how you treat people at your local church. Pay particular attention to how you treat fellow sisters and brothers in Christ. Now, why do you think he would say that? Why is that so important? Well, I have a theory. We all are part of families. And if we look around in this room and hear stories, we'd hear, Good families, good stories, and bad families and bad stories, right? And a mixture of both. We're all a mix. But what you'd find is that good families, you know, people want to be a part of a good family. Man, that dad, he really loves his daughter. That mother, she really loves and encourages her son. I wish I could be a part of that. I wish I could could be a part of that family. They're drawn to it. They're drawn to the belonging and the acceptance and the grace and and what makes a good family a good family. They are drawn to that. They want to be a part of that. But people will go to unbelievable lengths to escape a dysfunctional family. They will do anything they can to get out of a dysfunctional family. Because dysfunction repels people and health attracts them. And when the family of God is dysfunctional, the damage is severe, and it is eternal. And so Paul says, look, you're in a family of believers. You need to do your part to make sure it's not dysfunctional. Treat the people in the body of Christ, in your local church, with respect. It means if there's an issue you're having with someone in the church, they are are a believer You need to get that solved because that will be like an infection that spreads and it'll create dysfunction and dysfunction flies in the face of the gospel. The way God made his church to be, the way he wants it to be. We're not perfect, we know that. But we can work to loving those who are fellow believers. You got to do the right thing at the right time. You got to plant the right seeds as you're given opportunity to do so. You also need to avoid planting the wrong seeds. You need to avoid sowing into the wrong type of stuff. This is what Paul says He says that if you sow to please the sinful nature of the flesh, that from that flesh you will reap. Destruction. That as you live a life that's trying to please yourself, please that part of us, that flesh means that sinful nature, the the part of us that's in rebellion against God. The part that, that, that does not want to submit, the part that wants us to do whatever we want for ourselves and not think about anyone else. We all know that. We feel that. We know that sin nature in us. It's, it's with us all the time. And as we begin to feed that and sow into that, what happens is we will reap destruction. And so how can we avoid planting the wrong seeds? Well, I think you can start to anticipate the consequences. Paul gives this great list of of consequences for the sin nature. He talks about it in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, again, that's flesh. It's the same word in in, in the original language. He says the results are clear. And don't we get that? We kind of know. Sexual immorality, impurity. Impurity lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. He just throws out a categorical statement, you know, and all these other kind of sins you guys know about. And let me tell you again, As I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We can't anticipate what will happen because here's the reality. When you sow something, it is in seed form and sin is progressive, is it not? Each one of those things, sexual morality, impurity, idolatry, so all that stuff, that is the fruit. That's the manifestation of a seed that has been allowed to grow. And as that seed grows, it matures, and when it matures, it's ugly. It matures, it destroys people and relationships and lives. And you know what the worst thing about it is it actually corrupts our very souls. The word destruction that Paul uses there is an interesting word. It actually means the slow process of rotting, disintegration. And we see that, don't we? Certain things just get easier to do. And then they get worse. And then their level begins to magnify and grow. Pastor Gil talked about it last week. I encourage you to go listen to the podcast. But he says none of us, none of us planned to cheat on our spouse. At least not initially. Not eventually. I mean initially. None of us... Sit there and plan to embezzle money, just steal, at least not initially. But maybe dabble in pornography, not confess it, keep to myself. Maybe dabble in painkillers, not confess it, keep it to myself. Maybe dabble in just allowing the gossip to happen in my presence. Or maybe um, just kind of entertaining with the foul and coarse language and joking. Maybe just dabble a little bit, but there is no dabbling with sin. Each dabbling, an instance of dabbling, is a seed that is planted, and seeds that are planted, and that are watered, and that are given an environment to grow, they grow, and they produce fruit. And it's a fruit that none of us want, and that fruit is destruction, and ultimately there is so much brokenness that's caused by sin. I mean, think about the relationships that you had, all the pain, the hurt that you've experienced in your life. Give me one instance, I challenge you, one instance that didn't have to do with selfishness or some kind of sin that someone was engaging in. And, and in terms of these interpersonal relationships, so much of it has to do with this sin that grows. And if you want to get rid, you gotta you got avoid planting the seeds. But you also sometimes you gotta get some weeds out, you know, because some of them have started to grow. And some of them are bigger, like that thistle, you know. It's out there and it's as tall as you are. You gotta get down there and it hurts because you're stabbing your hands with it. And then you go and you rip that thing out, and then ah, it's the stump still there. And you know you're like, oh, I'm gonna get you next time. You know that that thing's coming down, because if you really want to get rid of these things, you have to go to the root. If the root remains, it'll come out. It'll grow again. You have to get to the life source. You have to get to the root. You have to kill the sin to the root, and that is a hard process, but it's a process that we can do. We can begin to ask ourselves why we feel how we feel. We can begin to ask ourselves where that desire comes from. Maybe we need to get counseling. Maybe we need to understand the way our family of origin or the experiences that we've had in our life have affected us and have now let, led us to have these kind of weeds in our life. Because just dealing with the symptoms doesn't ever go to the cause. And we have to deal with with the root system. And that requires digging, and that requires reflection, and that requires a process. We need to plant the right seeds at the right time. We need to avoid planting the wrong seeds. We also need to focus and cultivate healthy soil. When we started gardening a few years back, Ash and I, we would go and we'd get the soil from the store and it was filled with nutrients, you know? And we'd get in there and we'd till it around and we'd try to get everything ready to put the plants in. Um, but you notice it's funny because soil, the health of the soil, always determines whether or not something can grow. Especially good fruit has to have healthy soil. It seems like weeds just grow anywhere, right? I mean, they just, it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to start growing up. You got to take care of those. But that good fruit, it needs healthy soil. How do you get healthy soil? Well, you begin to sow, as Paul says, to please the spirit. In Galatians 6, 8, again, he says, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And how do you sow to please the Spirit? Well, the first thing is that you begin to actually think about the fact that God has a plan, that there is a reaping and sowing, that there is a cause and effect, and that what I do today affects tomorrow. And then I say, God, what, Holy Spirit, would you tell me what I need to do? Would you even, um, you got to start even desiring to know. God, I really want to please you in this situation. Holy Spirit, there, there's an issue at work that I really need to figure out because I have this tension with this coworker and it's not going away, and it's making it horrible to go to the office, and I just don't want to do it, and I need to figure it out, and I'm afraid of what you're going to ask me to do, but I want to do it. And it falls that once you want to know that then you would like to obey. And you say, God, I don't really want to obey. I'm afraid to obey. It, it, it brings fear and it stirs things up inside. But I know that you want my good. I, I trust you, so I'm going to do my best to obey. And when I can't, I'm going to ask you for help. I'm going to ask you to infuse me with power because you have to get the nutrients in the soil. And the only way you can do that is by sowing to please the Spirit, which means you need to ask what he wants. You, it's so important. That's why we got to get an engagement with the Word of God. Because as we engage with the Word of God, we begin to develop habits in our heart, habits of thinking, patterns of thinking that actually make our responses to situations far more automatic. That we begin to please God because we already know he wants us to forgive. We already know that he wants us to love our wife as Christ loved the church. We already know that he wants us to, what kind of father he wants us to be, one who is a good example, one who is praying for our kids, with our kids, showing them example. We already know that stuff because we've been taking it in and we've been taking it in. And every time you read that verse of the day on the YouVersion app, you are sowing to please the Spirit. And every time, husbands, you pray with your wife, you are sowing to please the Spirit. And every time, mothers, you pray with your kids or you tell them about Jesus or you tell them how they were made in God's image and he loves them and they're worthwhile, you are sowing to please the Spirit. Every time you get on your your knees and you beg for God for forgiveness and ask him for his grace and to fill you with his peace, you are sowing to please the Spirit. And guess what happens? There is a result. And the result is eternal life. And I don't mean it's just life everlasting. That is true. We all who know Jesus there will be a day in which pain will be gone in which he will write everything there will be a day which life begins anew unimaginable bliss amazing beyond our conception and what he will do for us but it's not just then it's now Paul talks about this. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And he outlines this in Galatians 5, through 23. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just take a look at that list. Couldn't we use a little bit of this now? Man, that you can know and be sure that you are loved by God and that you can now take that love and give it to other people, whether or not they reciprocate. Love, that you can have joy. That means you can be happy despite circumstances. That means you can have a security and a peace knowing that God has your back that is impossible to have otherwise. We don't have to wait for this in the sense that it comes in the next life. No, we simply have to begin to even start, even small steps, sow in the Spirit, sow in the Spirit, sow in the Spirit, and then it produces fruit. We don't make ourselves have joy. We receive joy as we sow in the Spirit, sow in the Spirit, Sow in the spirit. There is nothing in this world that will replace the consistent daily activities of talking to God, being with God, talking about God, showing him your love, asking him what what he wants you to do in the situations. Nothing will replace that in its effectiveness of continuing to sow to please the spirit. And he will produce fruit because that's the way he made the world. it's cause and effect. Fruit is best when it's in season. And as we focus on the health of the soil, we can realize that God is there. And we can be strengthened to continue. And sometimes we may even need a break. It's amazing this line he has in Galatians 6, 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. You know, it's funny. We can really get tired of doing good. People don't appreciate us. There's such a lack of gratitude. All these good plans sometimes, because of our sinful world, they fall through. We forgive someone, and they don't forgive us back. We try to be nice to someone, and they don't, they don't return the favor. We pray for someone, but they, they don't pray for us. We go time and time again, and all of a sudden, we can start to get weary We can start to actually not want to do good anymore. And a good sign of that is when you just start feeling lack of motivation. You have no motivation to do good for people anymore. It's called compassion fatigue. And Paul wouldn't have said burnout. They didn't have that concept in the first century. But we have it now. And it is burnout. I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this anymore. And if we don't focus on the health of the soil and sometimes giving it a break... Then we're gonna suffer. Because that soil needs some time to recuperate, and so do we. If you keep doing the same thing and the same thing and the same thing again, it will deplete all nutrients, and it won't, you won't be able to refill it fast enough, and there's a time at which you will just run out of gas. How are you sleeping these days? Are you doing anything that brings you life? I don't mean being selfish. I mean, are you doing things that you know will energize you? Are you spending any time with Christ? Are you spending time in relationships that you know give and don't take away? Are you taking a day off? Or is your life and calendar so packed that you have no room to breathe? Let's not grow weary of doing good. And when you do those things, the right thing at the right time, avoiding the wrong thing, trying to look at root causes in your life, trying to understand where the sin comes from, trying to anticipate the consequences that can happen using that imagination God has given us to do that. And when you think about that soil and you're trying to make it right, you're trying to consistently and daily um, till it, you're trying to sow into the Spirit, knowing that you're going to begin to reap this harvest that God has for you, this good life, the life He wants you to have, there's one last thing that you've got to do, and all of us have to do, and that's let the seed do its work. You will never find a farmer, I think. You will never find a farmer out there at his plants yelling at it and willing it to grow. You grow, you seed. I'm going to make you grow. Silly, isn't it? And yet in our own life, we somehow get duped into thinking that we are the ones that cause growth that we can make ourselves have joy or that we can make ourselves have more patience or that we can make ourselves like God more. But God has designed the seed with the potential to grow into what it's supposed to grow to and it's the same thing with you and I. And what does a farmer do? He tries to make the environment one where growth can occur. Let the seed do its work. I love this last passage that let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The best fruit is in season. Plant the right seed. The right time. Take advantage of the opportunities God gives you. Avoid the wrong seed. Go deep. Figure out root causes. Anticipate the consequences. Focus and cultivate the health of the soil. Take breaks when you need to so you can recover and move back into effectively fulfilling God's purpose in your life. Sow in the Spirit consistently, daily. Trust His process and His grace. You know, all this can seem kind of hard. It can seem kind of harsh. Man, this cause and effect, it's such a harsh reality. But if we didn't have cause and effect, we wouldn't be saved. You know, Jesus took 30 years before he went into ministry. And during those 30 years, God prepared him to be who he was. And when Jesus He had the cause in his life, the consistently sowing in the Spirit. It was that consistent sowing in the Spirit, the consistent daily habits that he had developed of knowing God and loving God and talking to God and interacting with people and asking God the Father what he wanted to do. That's what led him into his ministry. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the miracles that he did. And then he was empowered and strengthened to go to the cross when everyone left him. And then he trusted in God. He didn't raise himself from the dead. God raised him from the dead. The Spirit of God took his life and replaced it with something that was just flesh there and and, and, and infused him with new life and gave him a resurrected body. If we didn't have cause and effect, we would not have the resurrection. We would not have anything in the salvation that we received. And the amazing thing is no matter where we are at today, all of us get to reap what Jesus has sown. The amazing thing is that God lets us have the benefits of work we didn't do. And because he made this world cause and effect, he could bring his son who through his sacrifice, the effect would be our salvation. And no matter where we are today, we can trust that even if we've Screwed it up. Even if we've messed up, we can have a new start, a fresh start. we It's not too late, and we can trust in what Jesus did that has brought us the harvest of life that we have. Fruit is best in season. Hope that we don't forget that today and that we remember God's great love for us. Father, thank you for this time Thank you that you've given us your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you did what we couldn't. You sowed what we couldn't, and now we can have the advantage of the harvest that you deserve. And that you shared it with us. And God, I pray that we would remember you. That we would remember to sow in your spirit, pleasing you, wanting, thinking about you, knowing that we're imperfect. God, forgive us our sins. Forgive the times that we've forgotten you. And give us power in our our hearts and minds to keep the big picture in mind, to keep our eyes on the harvest. And God, to remember that in the right season, you'll bring the fruit we trust you with it. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.